Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Luna Love of the Podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Araqual people of the Bunjalung Nation, and pays respects to elders past, present, and emerging. I'm your host, Jordana Levine, and this is going to be one of those rogue episodes that I do every now and then when we haven't got a change in season or a new moon or a full moon to talk about. There's not, there's not a lot going on astrologically this week. There are some small, short transits, which I speak about in the bonus subscriber episode. But other than that, nothing particularly profound. So what I thought we could do in today's episode is I I put a question box up on my Instagram stories just to see what kind of questions you guys had around astrology or what it is that perhaps you'd like an episode on. Um, There was nothing that I felt I could do an entire episode on. So what I thought is I just go through the questions and answer them off the top of my head. How does that sound? So it's likely that your question will be answered. I have gotten through all of them. A lot of them were very similar. Um, so I've kind of grouped them where I can. And perhaps you didn't even know you needed an answer to this question. And now you've got one. <laughs> if this is the kind of episode you enjoy, where we sort of just go through and unpick some astrology questions that you might have, I can do them more regularly. So definitely let me know either by DMing me on Instagram or you can send me an email, whatever feels good to you. All right. So there's no uh, rhyme or reason to the order in which I am going to answer these questions, but let's see how we go. So I got a few questions come through around Saturn return. And I think people wanted an entire episode about Saturn return and I could definitely do that. But the thing is, you know, there's only so many of us that are going through our Saturn return at this very moment in time. If your natal Saturn is in Pisces, that is you at the moment. Now, Saturn transits through a sign every two and a half years, Um, but the exact moment of your Saturn return occurs when transiting Saturn, which is the Saturn in the sky, returns to the exact degree it was at at the time of your birth. All right. So we get it. If we live a long, fruitful life, we'll have our Saturn return three times. All right. The first one and the most significant happens around the age of 29. For most people, it is 29. For some people, it's 28. For some people, it's 30. Um, But it will happen around your 29th birthday. All right. 
It will happen again in your mid to late 50s. And if you live long enough, again in your late 80s. Now, that first Saturn return, like I said, is the most significant. It's when we learn all of the lessons that are meant to prepare us for adulthood, which is entering your 30s. Um, A really kind of good way of sort of understanding how those lessons might come through for you is having a look at the house in which your natal Saturn sits, because this is the house that transiting Saturn will be moving through during your Saturn return. And at this first Saturn return, things, like I said, lessons are going to come up that put you on path for adulthood, sort of steer you where you're meant to go, right, according to your natal chart. But a lot of the time it manifests as challenges, responsibilities, lessons, growth. Now, my Saturn return uh, happened in my fifth house, which is the house of creative self-expression and children. But for me, it manifested through my creative self-expression. I was in a job. If anyone's read Make It Happen, they likely know about this job. But I was working for a woman who we could only call a narcissist. It's the best description for her. She was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, But she was also the hardest lesson I've ever had in my entire career. But she set me up for life, really, um, in terms of my mindset, the way I treat other people, the way I do business. I learned a lot from her criticism (laughs) about myself and my self-worth, what I'll put up with, what I won't put up with. Also about my energy levels. That was when I had my Well, strictly speaking, it was my second corporate burnout, but probably the biggest corporate burnout. Um, And I'm very conscious of that. I'm conscious of my nervous system. I'm conscious of my adrenals. And it all happened during my Saturn return. And it was interesting that it was in the fifth house because it it was also a time when I wasn't having any fun. I found it really hard to play. Also very fifth house themes. Um, And I could not express myself. My self-expression, especially my creative self-expression, was very, very, very stifled. Um, So that's how my Saturn return played out. For you, it might play out very differently. Although I was very interested in astrology and I sort of knew what my Saturn return was, I hadn't really prepped for it. Now, I get a lot of people come to readings who are going through their Saturn return or about to go through their Saturn return and they're like, What do I do to make sure it's like super, super easy and um, I just glide through it? I don't think you can hack that. I really don't. I do think though, let's say your Saturn is, your natal Saturn is in the seventh house. It's likely that the lessons and the challenges are going to come through relationships for you, right? So what that means is don't avoid relationships. Don't be fearful of the deterioration of a relationship, but do make sure you're learning the lessons along the way. Do make sure you're not ignoring things that are glaringly obvious within relationships and really sort of be up to this idea of rising to the challenge, taking self-responsibility, initiating your own growth. And if you can do that, 
then Saturn return will feel more easeful than if you're resisting and ignoring. All right. Now, the second Saturn return that happens in your mid to late 50s, <laughs> initially uh, when the economy was different, this was when we retired. <laughs> Not so much now, um, but the idea with this one is that it's not so challenging. You know, Saturn is also the planet of karma, so this is where we reap our rewards if we've lived a life uh, in alignment with our truth and our authenticity and we've learned the lessons and we've risen to the challenges and we've taken responsibility, then this second Saturn return can be really easeful and lovely. It's when we move from the archetype of mother to crone. Now, if you're a man listening to this, you know, put it in the context of your own gender, obviously. Um, and also, I don't necessarily mean being the mother of children, but these are the stages we move through, right? Maiden, mother, crone. The movement from uh, before and after that second Saturn return is meant to be the initiation into crone, the initiation into the wise one. And then that final Saturn return, uh, fingers crossed we all get there at, the, at our late 80s, is sort of like the passing on of wisdom, right? This is where we take everything we've learned, all the responsibilities we've taken on, all of the challenges uh, that we've managed to rise to, all of the growth we've endured, and then we pass on those teachings to our youths, yeah, to our grandchildren, to our great-grandchildren, to our community. So that is your Saturn return. Um, if you are going through your Saturn return, um, you can always book in a natal chart reading with me if you haven't had one. If you have had one, we can do a transits and progressions reading, or you can always just book an ask me a question reading. That's a type of reading. Um, it's like a half hour time slot and we can talk purely about your Saturn return. All right. So that is that. Uh relationships with the other signs was a big question that came in. Now, I've done a compatibility podcast before. I will put that in the show notes of this episode. Um, but I guess the kind of the gist of the questions were, are there signs that work better together than others? It's not a simple question to answer. Yes, definitely. And we will talk about the yes of it. But also no. And the reason I say no is because it always depends on how evolved the person is in terms of their natal chart, right? Um, I've spoken about this plenty of times before, but I'll say it again. I have, If we're talking about relationships, like romantic relationships, I have been with people who I've got a very, very, very astrologically compatible chart with um, and as a single lady, <laughs> obviously hasn't worked out. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact, not that I'm putting everything on that person, um, but a lot of these people were not the highest expression of their natal chart. So if I was in the highest expression of my natal chart, which I try and be, but I'm probably not at all times, and they were in the highest expression of their natal chart, then it would have been a really beautiful union right? But it wasn't for various reasons. And a lot of those reasons had nothing to do with astrology <laughs> and everything to do with our own wounds and our own baggage and all of those sorts of things, right? The things that come up 
in relationships. However, in saying that, obviously there are certain signs that are more compatible than others simply because they understand each other. Yeah, there's familiarity there. Now, does this mean sun and sun, moon and moon, moon and sun, Venus and Mars? It is an intricate, intricate tapestry. What I look at as an astrologer more so than does your moon sign and your sun sign speak the same language is what we call a synastry chart and a composite chart. And a synastry chart is where we layer both of your charts on top of each other. They create a bi-wheel. And I have a look less at whether your sun and your moon are in the same sign or the same element. And I look at what house your moon sits in their chart and vice versa. And, and all the other planets as well, obviously, right? It's a very, very, very intricate reading. I don't even have it as a reading on the website. Um, I will do it if people want it. But synastry readings um, not only take a lot of time that I have to charge for, um, but they're very, very intricate and intimate. And I require both people in the reading. So definitely both people giving the permission but both people in the reading, and you have to be in a relationship, not just dating. So look, if you are interested in a synastry chart, do reach out for me. Do reach out to me. You can DM me or email me, um, and I can tell you the costings um, and run you through the process. But it basically means doing four charts, right? So I do your natal chart, their natal chart, a synastry chart which is its own chart, and then what we call a composite chart. And a composite chart is cool because a composite chart creates what is essentially a natal chart for the relationship, right? So what it does is it creates midpoints between all your planets. So, for example, if your sun sign is Leo and their sun sign is Gemini, then the midpoint would create a cancer sun. Now, that's just me giving you a really easy example, but of course the degrees are going to play into it. But it but it finds the midpoints of all the planets in your chart and then we read that chart about the relationship itself, not you two as individuals. All right? Anyway, so that's an option. Um but let me let me wind back a little bit. If you want to look at really basic Am I going to get on with this person? Am I not? It's fair to say that the air signs get on with each other, the earth signs, the water signs, the fire signs, and this is because they understand each other, yeah? Air signs are very cerebral. And so when their friends or their partner or their family are also thinkers, there's a lot to talk about. There's much in common. They're all communicators, right? They're thinking about things rationally and logically. They're putting the pieces together. They're problem solving. This is why air signs get on really well. The water signs, they're empathetic. They're compassionate. They're intuitive. They understand what it's like to feel things really deeply. Yeah. Um, And then we could go through all the other elements as well. Um, in saying that it's like a sun and a sun, yes, a sun and a moon, yes, all of these things count, but none of it is gospel. And I know that's a really frustrating way to describe it because you're like, well, George, we've come out of this and we actually know nothing. <laughs> well, this is true. But look, another way of another way of sort of talking about it is all right, so my um 
Mars is in Scorpio and it's the only water sign in my chart other than Saturn, but it doesn't really count. My Mars is in Scorpio. So there's elements of Scorpio as a sign that I really understand. I just get it, right? Now, that means that when I meet Scorpios, whether they're a Scorpio sun or a Scorpio moon or a Scorpio rising, or they have their Venus in Scorpio or their Mars in Scorpio, there is a level of understanding between us. I'm not turned off by the intensity of it. I understand the obsessive nature that they might have. I get what it's like to want to investigate something to the nth degree. I understand the painful hurt of dishonesty. You know, all these sorts of things I can relate. And it's purely because my Mars is in Scorpio, right? Now, you might be able to understand that about other elements in your own chart. But someone who doesn't have Scorpio in their chart might find Scorpio energy a little bit... uh, full on, a little bit too, like I said in the Scorpio season episode, penetrative, say it with me, penetrative. Um, Yeah. So when it comes to relationships and the other signs, just have a look at what your friends are or what people you've dated and see if there's any themes. And it's probably going to tell you a lot about you, what you look for in other people, what you're attracted to in other people, but also what people are attracted to in you. All right, another big theme that I got in the questions was what I had experienced firsthand with the eclipses um, and kind of like what were the after effects for me during eclipse season. It's funny, like I really kind of uh, sat down with this after the Taurus uh, lunar eclipse on the weekend and kind of like had a long, hard think about what it was that really sort of came up for me during eclipse season, there wasn't anything majorly significant that happened where I was like, oh my God, these eclipses are having their way with me. However, looking back, I can see my mindset changed around a few key areas of my life, which actually in retrospect feels super significant for me. Um, We don't need to go into detail with that, (laughs) but maybe something similar came up for you. Uh, One thing that I mentioned in another episode, um, and I will mention again, is that my energy got completely annihilated. Um, As many of you know from the podcast, I had a very social time during eclipse season, which isn't something I would usually do, but it was my sister's wedding and we had the hens the week before. And then I had a week uh, with my family and then I had the wedding and then I had to fly back to Byron and get straight back into work and my system just crashed. Now, for most people, they might be like, that is my regular week. I do stuff like that all the time. It's not for me. Um, I am a projector. I need to rest a lot. Um, Being social, although I love being social, being social drains me of my energy um, and I need to get adequate rest and time alone. Um, And I didn't have it during those couple of weeks, which is nobody's fault. I had a great time at the wedding, but it did burn me out. Yeah, it's taken me quite a bit to pull it together. Like I've been back over a week now and I still don't feel normal. 
Um, I haven't really felt like this since, well, since that last burnout that I was telling you about earlier in the episode. Um, I know that it had to do with the eclipse energy itself. It's not like the eclipses were trying to uh, flatline me, (laughs) but eclipse energy, I've said it so many times to you guys, but I just want to reiterate it. It's so big. It's so, so big, right? And if you're hypersensitive, you're going to feel it, whether you're conscious of it or not. Now, in saying that, there's also been a lot going on in the world, which is taxing our nervous systems as well. Um, Yeah, we don't have to go into that. I've done that in previous episodes. Um, But if you are also feeling a similar energy to what I'm describing, the only way through it is to rest, which I know is like super frustrating. I'm on a book deadline. um, So I'm really hating having to stop uh, working and just lie down and rest. Uh, But if I don't do it, it's just going to carry on and carry on and carry on and carry on and carry on. Now, um, I am in no way a health professional, but I also thought it might be helpful to tell you how I personally know when my nervous system is maxed out. Um, I notice it I feel like a pulsation and a vibrating uh, vibration in my feet, uh, especially when I wake up in the morning. That's how I know something's going on with my nervous system. Uh, I'm hypersensitive, like I said to you, um, not emotionally, although I am always emotionally sensitive, but more like allergies, which I never get. I never get hay fever. I never get allergies, but my allergies have been so bad this week. Um, And that's usually a sign that my nervous system is not doing well, which means my immune system starts crashing. Um, I wake up tired, even though I've had eight hours sleep. Um, I start crashing in the afternoons. This is probably also my cortisol levels being quite high. And then when I go to sleep, even though I'm exhausted, I find it hard to fall asleep, right? So all of those things for me are indicators that I am going through burnout, Um, so what I do to get better, again, I'm not a health professional, but this is what's worked for me is I take it super, 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 super easy on myself without guilt or shame. All right. And like I said, even though I'm on a book deadline and I really don't have time where I can't be spending every day writing, I've had to this week and just been like, I will have to catch up when I'm feeling better. I am prioritizing meditation, um, and rest, I let my meditations go while I was away. Worst thing I could have done. Worst thing I could have done. I think sometimes when we're really stressed, meditating just feels like a chore, but it always makes you feel better after you've done it. Yeah. Um, what else? I limit unwanted social occasions. And by that, I mean like really prioritizing the right people to hang out with. Now, I've got some lovely, lovely, lovely friends. Some of them are very nourishing for my nervous system and some of them not so much. That doesn't make them bad people. They're just extroverts. So I just really need to limit who I'm seeing when my nervous system's not doing great, if that makes sense. Um, And then the last thing is like releasing any feeling of obligation. (laughs) If I am going to something resentful or because I feel obliged to go, I'm giving myself permission this week not to do that. So maybe you can do that too. Next question was 
It's a bit of a cop out because I'm not really going to answer it, but I will um, tell you what it was. Uh, Manifesting and using astrology to better our health and beauty. I can't give you much on this. I've done a whole episode on uh, using astrology to manifest. Was that a subscriber episode? It was a subscriber episode. If you become a subscriber, you get access to all of the bonus episodes from the archives as well as the new ones that come up. So if you want to listen to that, uh, click the link in the show notes to become a subscriber for as little as $8 a month. Um, but what I will tell you in summary is using astrology to manifest, figuring out when your lunar return is every month. That's a really good day to manifest. New moon is a really good time to manifest. Having a look where Jupiter is transiting can give you a lot of insight into what areas of your life uh, will bring opportunity for manifestation. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a really good place to start. Um, Jupiter is the planet of luck and opportunity and expansion and wisdom. Um, so it's a really good place to sort of look at where transiting Jupiter is and also where your natal Jupiter is in your chart. For health stuff, we usually look to the sixth house. The sixth house is the house of the day to day. It's like our routine and our health also sits there. There is a whole field of astrology called medical astrology. I know absolutely nothing about it. I have not studied it, nor do I want to. But if that interests you, look into it. I haven't personally looked into it for myself, so I cannot comment on the accuracy of it. But I've heard plenty of people that have and who swear by it. So if you are having health issues and you've seen all of the right medical professionals, (laughs) but you still have some questions, maybe medical astrology could be quite helpful for you. When it comes to beauty, we look to our Venus placements. Venus is the planet of health, um, not of health, of uh, love and relationships, but also of beauty. So you could have a look at the sign that your Venus is in and also the house that it's in, but then also having a look at where transiting Venus is at the moment in your chart. Uh, That can give you a little bit of an insight into how to beautify or how to connect with your beauty a little bit deeper. So the next question was about the house systems in astrology. Now, I use Placidus. Some astrologers use the whole sign house system. There's so many different house systems, um, but I'm going to talk about the difference between Placidus and whole sign. So Placidus is one of the most popular house systems in astrology, and it's a time-based method of calculating the houses that was devised during the Renaissance. So house sizes are determined geocentrically, yeah, so based on our point of view of the heavens from down here on earth, yeah, and it marks each house based on two-hour intervals, So some houses will be larger than others, but the houses that are opposite each other are always going to be the same size. It's almost like if you imagine a pie cut up and if you sort of were to slice from one edge of the pie directly to the opposite edge of the pie and then did that, I guess, with the house system, it would be six times, then you would get uh, equal sizes, equal pieces on each side right? Does that make sense? Yeah. With all the houses, all the natal charts, is the cusp of the first house is an angle in the chart called the ascendant angle. 
and you might know it as your rising sign, right? So if you were born Virgo rising, the sign of Virgo might occupy parts of the 12th house and the first house, right? So that's what happens with me. My rising is Gemini, but Gemini for me is mainly in the 12th house. And then a little, little snippet of it is in the first house. Yeah. So the whole sign house system is different. Every house is exactly 30 degrees and it entirely contains its corresponding sign. Yeah. So if your rising is Virgo in the whole sign house system, then the entire first house is Virgo. The entire second house is Libra. The entire third house is Scorpio, so on and so forth. The whole sign house system is the house system they use in like Vedic astrology. And it's really helpful for astrologers when they're writing horoscopes. It's really good for getting a clear framework for looking at your chart. If an astrologer is telling you about your chart through social media and not actually in conversation with you, it keeps things like really simple, really formulaic, but it lacks accuracy. I've looked at Placidus. I've looked at whole sign with numerous different people's charts. Placidus is always more accurate. Yes, whole sign is easy to learn. It's easier to talk about. It's easier to write social media posts for strangers. It's easier to write horoscopes, but it doesn't give you the same accuracy. Now, I know all of that was pretty technical and I don't expect you to understand it, but it does give you a little bit of an insight into why I personally use Placidus. Um, the last question I was asked was around (laughs) whether or not I am going to be teaching an astrology course. Now I launched my astrology mentoring this year, um, and I've had various people sign up for that who have already studied astrology. And that's been really, really great. Um, And I initially said, I didn't want to teach a class or a course around astrology. It's not where I want to invest all of my time. However, there is a lot of you that want to learn from me and I understand that and I'm respectful of that. Um, And so I just want to gauge interest at this stage. If I did a course in astrology, it would be a course to teach you how to read natal charts for yourself, but also for other people right? So it would make you an astrologer. Absolutely. The course would make you an astrologer. It would likely be an eight-week course. There would be live calls. There would be worksheets. Um, And if you can't make the call live, there would be recordings. It would likely be split into two levels. So in the first level, we'd do the basics. In the second level, uh, we'd go a little bit deeper, having a look at transits, having a look at aspects, having a look at all that sort of stuff. Um, But before I put my time and my energy into it, I just want to get a little bit of a gauge on who would be interested. So what I've done is I've put a link in the show notes of this episode to hop on the wait list. There is no commitment. It is just your name and your email address. And when and if I do launch the course, you will be the first to know. Um, But I just really want to sort of, yeah, get a read on who would be interested in doing that. 
Um, if we were to do it, it would launch in March next year. Um, and I would make a very, very sweet, attractive early bird price available quite soon for people. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, do pop yourself on the wait list just so I can get an idea of numbers. And I will tell you more about that soon. All right, my loves, this has been a fun episode. Let's maybe try and do these often. So um, I will likely pop a question box back on Instagram in the future. Ask me your questions and we'll answer them in an episode like this. All right, my loves, until next moon, I'm Jordana Levine and you've been listening to Luna Lover, the podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 